chapter one. And uh, are you homesick? Yeah. That uh, I, th I think we'll see tonight. If we're saved, we have a reason to be homesick. Uh, and if you're not saved, you can be homesick. <laughs> but uh, that means a lot. You know, I don't consider myself a, definitely don't sound like a seasoned preacher in my mind, but I hope the Lord will, will use me to show you something that He's shown me out of His Word. And I'm thankful to the Lord for allowing me to stand, thankful for Brother Gary allowing me to stand. And, and you all can stand as we read God's Word. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 uh, through 22. Talking about reconciliation. If you're reconciled, you can be homesick tonight. And you should be homesick. But, uh, Paul says, For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of His cross by Him, to reconcile all things unto Himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. <clears throat> Lord, we just thank you for your word. I just thank you that it's true, Lord. And uh, I just pray you would hide me behind it, Lord, and just... Uh, Allow me to say the things you've laid on my heart today. Be known clear. Just prepare our hearts to receive it, God. And we just pray that you'd get all the honor and the glory for everything it's done and said. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Um, so like I said, I'd like to bring up the subject of reconciliation. And uh, if you're born again, and I know we've got some that are newly born again, um, you, you, you are reconciled. And to be reconciled means uh, to have restoration of a friendly relation. So a friendly, a restoration of a friendly relationship. Um, and if you don't get anything else out of tonight, um, get this. Jesus is all you need to be reconciled to God. <laughs> and uh, Paul begins what we looked at here by saying, For, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And whenever we see a four, we really need to look back and uh, kind of understand why Paul wrote this letter. Um, in this verse, he's saying that in, in Christ, all fullness dwells. <clears throat> and uh, it's like saying, you know, you can't get any more full than Christ. It doesn't get any better than this. He's everything. He is all. Yes. Christ is sufficient. Amen. Um, and the reason he says this, he's writing to correct some thinking of the Colossian church. Uh, they had a Christ plus philosophy. They wanted, there were things in, in that area at that time where they were adding to Christ. In other words, saying Christ isn't enough. <clears throat> and he's heading that off by writing this uh, at the very beginning of our verse we read here. He's just saying Christ is it. There is no more. Just Christ, period. And uh, He's writing this church. He's never visited them. Um, and he's thanking God for the work they've done. You can look back through the first of the chapter and uh, through the work that God has done through them. But he's also writing to correct and warn them. Um, and we, aren't we the same way? Born again Christians. We're trying to do the Father's will, trying to do the best we can. Um, and he deserves all the thanks for anything good that's, 
that comes out of us. If I can do anything good tonight, it won't be me. It'll be something that God has done, and He deserves all the thanks for it. Uh, same with you. If you're born again. If you do something that's truly good, it's, it's because Christ has done it through you. And just like Paul wrote them, he thanks them for what Christ is and God's doing through them, but he corrects them. That's just like us. We need, we need both. We like to hear encouragement for what Christ is doing, but we also need some, some correction. <clears throat> and um, the things that they believed basically were Christ plus religion. That's their Jewish tradition. And you could look in 2.11. He says, "...in whom ye are also circumcised with circumcision made without hands." in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. They were holding on to the law. They were wanting to add on all of the things to the law onto Christ. And Paul's telling them, you're no longer under the things of the law. You're under the things of the flesh, he's in that verse. You are in Christ. Um, believers, even though they believed in Christ, they were thinking they needed to still uphold all the things of the law. And that's not the case. He fulfilled the law in our stead. He did what we couldn't do. Um, in 2 Corinthians 13, 9, Paul would write, uh, For we are glad, when we are weak, ye are strong. And this also we wish, even your perfection. Religion, the law, it won't save you. It won't make you strong. It only make, it points out your weakness. It shows you that you need correcting. And Paul yeah. is telling them that Jesus has fulfilled that in your place. They also had a thought of Christ plus human philosophy. Uh, in 2.8 and 2.18, if you were to look at them, he says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. In 18, he says, Let no man beguile you of your reward and a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshy mind. They were listening to what men had to say, adding to Christ. They were worshiping angels and uh, they were worshiping the creation not the creator um, and Paul's heading that off here when we get to our verse saying Christ is all um, in all him full, all fullness dwells so we see that religion and the law won't save you we see the things of this world will not save you it took someone out of this world to save us Christ God's only begotten son come to the world and Paul says that's enough. Um, but uh, before we get into the meat of what I wanted to look at, isn't that just like us? Don't we oftentimes add on and try to add on something else? Right. You know, I mean, hey, I raise my hand. I'm first, I, I put all kinds of requirements that I have to do and I forget and live my life many times thinking and forgetting that Christ has done it all. Yeah. And uh, I think the same correction that he applied to them can correct us in a lot of ways. Yes. Um, but he writes that Christ is everything. No need to add anything. And uh, because Christ is the only way to get to the Father, he's explaining to them three things. He's, he's showing them our position to God, our provision from God through Christ, and our practice through God as saved people that we should be, our, our vocation, if you will, how we should live. And um, tonight I want to look at uh, three characteristics that at various times in our life do mark, can mark, or should mark our lives. And that's the idea of an alienated life, a reconciled life, and an evidenced life. Yeah. Um, and I, I said before, I, I'll give you the summary of the message before the beginning. Christ is enough to reconcile you from an alienated life. 
And Christ is the reason we as Christians live. In other words, as Paul summed it up, Christ is sufficient. <clears throat> and when we think about this word alienated, uh, when you look at verse 21, I think we all have some idea of what that means. Um, Paul defines it this way. He says we're enemies. Uh, the dictionary, I like this definition. Let this sink in. Alienated can mean transferred to the ownership of another person or group. If you're alienated from God, your ownership, who owns you, it's been transferred to someone else. It's been transferred to Satan. Yeah. Um, uh, Jesus said it this way in Luke 16, 13. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. Yes. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Paul in Romans 6.16 6, says, Know ye not that whom ye yield your servants to obey? His servants ye are to whom ye obey, right. whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. And the Bible's clear. It's uh, you're either alienated or you're not. Amen, and, you know, Gary preached uh, a hard sermon this morning, and I thought, man, these are, are hard thoughts, Lord. These are clear black and white lines. But I told Gary, his, his sermon this morning really gave me a stamp of approval. This is... This is what the Bible teaches. It's black and white. Yes. Um, it's you're either in or you're out. You're either a servant of God or a servant of Satan. You're either owned by God or you're owned by Satan. You're a servant to one or the other. And the Word of God divides. We know that. It separates. It says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts us right down the middle and lays us out. And uh, I'm thankful for that because it makes it easy to understand. We're told we have to have a childlike faith. When it's black and white, it's easy to understand. And that, that requires a childlike faith. Um, and we're alienated from God. So we are enemies of God. Enemies because of what? Because of sin. If our alienation to God, we're, alien, we're enemies to Him. Um, Paul says right there in verse 21, alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. That's what alienates us, right? Sin separates us from God. Um, and, and remember, Paul's writing to the people of Colossians. They were mostly Gentiles. They were alienated because they weren't of the Jewish people. They weren't the chosen people. They were uh, not chosen to even be part of this whole thing before, before Jesus Christ came on the scene. But not only that, we're all alienated, Paul says, because of our minds. And what of our minds? That's what controls us. That makes, makes us do what we do, uh, we can control ourselves to good works or we can control ourselves to wicked works. Right. Um, wicked works are sin. And he's saying that sin separates us from God. It makes us his enemy. Um, it's not just that we're Gentiles, that we're not the chosen people. It's our mind. It's our actions, Paul says, that separates us. Um, and this is not a new thing. Um, what happened with Eve? What did the serpent say? He said... Ye shall not surely die. What was that? That was an attack on her mind. That was putting doubt in her mind. And then it formed sin, and she acted on it. Um, he's basically Satan saying he didn't mean it, God didn't mean it. He just wants you to not be like him, to not uh, have knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. An enemy created in her mind that brought to fruition wicked works. Uh, and you might say, what's so wicked about eating some fruit? Um, well, God said not to do it. Yeah. 
Right. And that's what we're, that's what we're, we're not to decide what's right and wrong. We're just called to obey the one Amen. who does decide what's right and wrong. And um, when we didn't obey, our wicked, forth, our wicked works brought forth, and they continue to bring forth sin. Uh, that's alienation between us and God. Uh, what happened right after that? Genesis 3, 8 and 9. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. They were separated from the Lord. Why? Because of their sin. And that's continued right on up through Isaiah 59 too. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. <clears throat> hid God's face from us. Our iniquities make us an enemy to God. Our, our wicked works alienate us from God. And um, we're an enemy. We're an enemy because of sin. And we're an enemy to the very God that created us. <clears throat> and now uh, we know that God's holy. The angels sing to him, holy, holy, holy. He's on uh, his level of separation. Holy means to be separated is on another playing field. We can't even imagine because ever since the Garden of Eden, Eden, when we were on that same playing field and sin separated us, we haven't seen uh, that since then. Um, it says he drove us out from the Garden of Eden. We've been separated because of that ever since. And he says we are to be holy, for he is holy. <clears throat> if we think back to what I said about the definition of our ownership being transferred... If you're alienated from God this evening, then you're in quite a predicament. What I've been saying doesn't sound good. You're owned and a slave to sin that besets your mind. Yes. Uh, you can only produce wicked works. Paul said that his works were as filthy rags. You can't produce anything good out of yourself. Um, and then you're saying, oh, that sounds bad. This is not what I came to hear. Oh, it is bad. That you can't have the good news without the bad news, right? Um, listen to what God delivered uh, in Nahum to Nineveh. Now remember, Jonah had preached to Nineveh repentance. Nahum 1-2, God is jealous and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. If you're alienated from God this evening, his wrath is reserved for you. Jonah had preached repentance Nineveh had repented, and then a hundred years later, they had fallen back, and judgment is being declared on them. And it's a picture, I think, of where we're living right now. We're living in a time where judgment on sin has been declared, and it's coming. And right now is the time to repent for the kingdom of God's at hand. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 23, I think Gary may have uh, quoted it this morning, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, this is Jesus, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. It's better for you to hear that now than later. Um, those, you have the exact words that you're going to hear at judgment if you remain in an alienated state until that time. Um, no matter what works you can do, no matter how great you think you are, Jesus said they're not enough. He's going to say, depart from me. Only a holy God can undo this alienated state. Your works can't get you out of it. It's a bad predicament to be in. And you've got two ways to go through life. Alienated, that's how you come into this world from birth. 
or reconciled. And uh, we can't reconcile ourselves. And reconciliation, um, as I said, speaks to the joys of friendship, but with a reminder of breakdown. And it's not possible with only one party. Um, if you make me mad and you do something to me and all of a sudden you're my enemy, um, it's up to me to really reconcile you. Now, I could forgive you. I could say I'm sorry, but until I actually reconcile you and make you my friend again, our relationship is not going to be the same. That's right. And uh, that's what happens with God and us and our condition. Uh, um, reconciliation requires humility. Uh, but for God, He wasn't satisfied with our humility and what we could do. He was satisfied only by the humility of His Son, Jesus, humbling Himself to a perfect sacrifice on the cross. Um, and just like we all sit here tonight, some of us are alienated, probably. Some of us are not. I hope none of us are. I hope we're all saved. We know that at least two or three of us here tonight are newly into that unalienated friendship category. But I don't know. You know, your relationship with me can be fine, and I can think all is well. But if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you tonight, I know He can draw you to Him, and that uh, He can fix that relationship that you have with God. You need to act on it. Um, you can either live a reconciled life or an irreconciled, or irreconciled life. Um, and we see a shift here. In 21, Paul's talking about you. He's talking about we, me, you. And in verse 22, he shifts the focus to he with a capital H. Um, our alienated condition is one that we, us, you, got ourselves into because of our sin. But uh, our reconciled condition is one that He, God, gets us out of. That's why we're told we must decrease and He must increase. The world needs a lot less of you, of us, of me, and a lot more of Him, with a capital H. Um, and we talk about being forgiven. Forgiveness is part of salvation, and that's a, a great feeling to be forgiven. And uh, you new converts know that feeling this morning, that, that rush of that weight. Of forgiveness. No longer do you have this debt that you've, you feel you've got to pay. But reconciliation builds on that. And um, it, it, uh, it takes it a step further. It's uh, no wonder the writer of Hebrews calls it so great a salvation. In reconciliation, the one who is now your enemy, the one that you were in debt to, you no longer own a debt. But in reconciliation, the one who is now your enemy calls you friend. Jesus said in John 15, 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Yes. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. That's, that's believe in him. Romans 5, 10, For if when ye were enemies we were reconciled by God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. He laid down his life. Uh, the death of God's Son is what it took to be reconciled. The body, his flesh, through death. Um, thousands, millions probably, of little animals suffered death at the hands of the priest. And that was God's plan and provision for the covering of sin. But now Paul's connecting us back and the reader back to those Old Testament ways and making clear that Christ is really the fullness of all things. He, in a way, he's saying that there's no reason to go back to the law because Christ has fulfilled it. Um, and Hebrews 10, uh, the preacher there says, For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. 
Wherefore, when he hath cometh into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared for me. A body. And that's what it took. Um, just as it was laid out in the, the priesthood, the sacrificial system all along, but now Christ is that body. One sacrifice for all. Uh, forever, the writer says. <clears throat> and he's set down at the hand of God, the right hand of God. The priest never got to sit down over and over again. Sacrifice over and over for sins. Christ, when he sacrificed once, he sat down and he was done. And that's all it took. And he's sufficient uh, to cover all sins with that. Amen. And uh, Paul says we're reconciled in the body of flesh, his flesh through death. How do you become friends with God? Look back at verse 20. kind of skipped over that. Um, you don't make peace. You don't make up. God makes peace through the blood of his cross. By him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. All things, Paul says. All things are going to be reconciled. If you, go back to, if you were to go back to Genesis, you'd see uh, in chapter 3 some things like God said in the servant, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all the cattle. I will greatly multiply thy sorrow in conception. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. Um, in sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and also thistles it shall bring forth. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return to the ground. So he drove out man. It wasn't just man, but all of creation groans, Paul says in Romans 8. All creation is marred by the introduction of sin Amen. into it. Um, in in eight, chapter 8 of Romans, Paul says, For the creature, and that's the all that Paul is speaking of in verse 20 there of Colossians, the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly. All of creation didn't want to be part of this, but our sin... Brought it, on, brought it on to all creations. And now in Colossians 1.20 makes it clear that God is bringing all things, reconciling them, all things back to Him. That's why it speaks of a new heaven and a new earth that we have to look forward to. Um, and, and just for a second, let's look at this all, because I think it would be easy to think that reconciling all things means, well, everybody's going to be saved. That's, that's not what it means. Um, what it means is the difference is when the reconciliation takes place. Because um, it would be easy to look at that and say, wait a minute, I don't have to be saved. I can just wait and all things are going to be reconciled. But if you look in verse 21, he says, yet now hath he reconciled. Hath. He's speaking to the believers. If you're believing a believer this morning or this evening, you've already been reconciled. When Jesus saved you, Ye hath been reconciled. That's what he says. Not, not something that's going to happen in the future. It's already happened for you. They don't have to wait for a great final judgment on sin. We're partakers with Christ in the judgment he suffered for sin because of that. We're, uh, we'll never, we will enter into eternal rest because of that with the Lord. And, uh, but those who do not believe, they will also be reconciled in judgment on the final day. Uh, those are the ones we read about in Matthew that said, well, what about all this good stuff we've done in your name? Uh, Revelation 20.15 tells us, Whosoever was not found written in the, Lamb's, in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Yeah. We like to think about the love of God um, through His Son to reconcile us. But we also, in our minds, we have to remember 
Uh, we have to know that God is a just God, and He's going to punish sin. Don't wait on your reconciliation day to happen in front of a great, the great white throne. Uh, it can happen today. You can be reconciled, Paul says, right now. Uh, enemies of God, alienated, will be reconciled one way or another, either in life through Christ, joined back as sons of God, or eternal death through the lake of fire. Um, I know which one I'm a part of. The I'm the one that are going to be reconciled in life while I'm still breathing air in Christ. <clears throat> which part are you in? Christ has already paid that price for me. And that's why Paul can write that my current state is one of, he sums up our, our verse or ends our scripture here. Verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death, present me. Paul says he can present you, me, holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Look closely at that. Whose sight are we holy unblameable, unreprovable in, in God's sight. If you look at me, you a lot of times won't say that that's what John is, sadly. Um, but uh, that's what we are in God's sight. When, we're, when you're born again, when you're saved, you're reconciled to Him, and all He sees when He looks at you is Jesus. Amen. And the properties of Jesus, holy, Unblameable, unreprovable, that's what God sees. Um, and, and so here's the question, and brings us to our final thought. If you're saved and you know how God sees you, how does the world see you? If you were alienated, but now you're reconciled through Jesus' sacrifice, then where is the evidence? You know, I said you could have an alienated life, a reconciled life. And if you're reconciled, you ought to have an evidenced life. Uh, Paul says the evidence of reconciliation is that we're holy, separated, we're unblameable, that's without blemish, and we're unreprovable. In other words, we can't be charged. Is that how the world sees you? Um, like I said many times, it's not a yes for me. Uh, but, <clears throat> and I have to say I'm sorry and repent from that. And turn away from those things. Paul says in Ephesians, we have to put on the new man. It's an it's a effort every day to put on the new man. It's just something you, not something you do when you're saved, and then everything's roses after that. Every day, you've got to mortify your members. You've got to put on the new man. You've got to continue. That's why he says, uh, if ye continue in the faith, in verse 23. He's not preaching works. It's not that we have to live up to some mark to make it. But it's that we, because we have made it in Christ, that we should try to hit that mark. Amen. That we should run the race. Um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you know, just showing that Paul's not talking about works here. He also says in Ephesians, For grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So just as we have two relationships, alienated or not, we can have two states, reconciled or not. We can also have two lives, evidence or not. And this last point speaks to the church more so, uh, well, completely so. If you, if you don't have a reconciled life and you are still in an alienated state, there's no chance of good works. But if you are those things, then you should have evidence of it. And uh, 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4 
we're given a good reason to show some evidence. It says, Blessed be God, our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, oh, yes. to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. I thought of it this way. Christians are not quitters. When Paul says, if ye continue, in verse 23 there of Colossians 1, that's what he's saying. Christians are not quitters. If you look back at the beginning of the chapter 3 through 6, he talks about hope and fruit. We're not quitters because we know where we came from and we know where Christ has brought us. Uh, Peter says there, we have a lively hope. We have an inheritance incorruptible. It doesn't fade away. And we continue on as Christians because of all we've been given and of all we have to look forward to. And uh, he spoke highly of the Colossians there. He called them faithful brethren in Christ. He said he had heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, heard of their love to all the saints, the hope which is laid up in heaven, their love in the Spirit. They were a fruit-bearing church. And that's what we ought to be, is a fruit-bearing church, a fruit-bearing members. Um, and uh, speaking of that, you know, why do you think Jesus tells us to love our enemies? Well, we were once enemies to him. Doesn't, isn't that the way he treats us? Uh, Alex read it uh, just a little bit ago. Gary read it this morning. For God so loved the world, you know the rest, uh, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We were enemies, but yet he loved us. Amen. I don't know, that's, that's just a random thought, but that's why we should love our enemies, because God loved us when we were enemies. <clears throat> a, uh, a loving God does not want you to perish, but a just and holy God must punish sin. And uh, He didn't create us to be clones. He created us to be image bearers. We're not just automatically in some robotic fashion living out a Christian life. We're to bear His image wherever we go. The image of the one that calls you friend uh, one commentator I studied put it this way. He said, uh, we Christians have a willingness, we need to have a willingness to sacrifice the present on the altar of the future. Where does your treasure lie? Are you building up a house of wood, hay, and stubble? Or are you laying up treasures of gold in heaven? And uh, we heard a little bit ago about uh, Moses when... when uh, Brother Bo read, and I had, I had this down. When we think about Moses, the hero of the faith, where did he lay up his treasure? Hebrews writer said, By faith Moses, when he came to years, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than riches and treasure of Egypt, for he had respect to the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, or seeing him who is invisible. By faith, Mac, uh, Moses sacrificed his present on the altar of the future. He gave up the things of the world, and he separated himself apart. And when Paul says we're to be holy, unblameable, unreprovable, Moses separated himself apart with the people of God. He was holy. Moses chose suffering rather than the pleasures of sin. He was unblameable. Moses didn't fear a king or what he thought, but rather feared the Lord and, uh, in, in order to remain without proof in front of God. He was unreprovable in that regards.
And uh, what we are in position in the sight of God, we should now put into practice uh, before the world. And in closing, I'd like to read out of 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God. Isn't all things, isn't that what uh, Paul said about Christ? He's the fullness. Who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ yeah. and has given us a ministry of reconciliation. Ministry of reconciliation. That's our duty. That's our evidence. We take what God's done for us and we spread it abroad with others. <clears throat> to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself and not imputing their trespass unto them and hath committed unto the world of the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made in the righteousness of God in him. Christ transforms men. Verse 17. Christ satisfies God. Verse 21. And reconciliation comes through Christ. Verse 18. That's the overarching theme of Colossians, that Christ is sufficient. Uh, the imaginations of men, the legalism of the law is done away with. And only Christ is required to enter into the presence of the Lord again. He's all you need this evening. Uh, if you're lost, He's all you need to be reconciled back to Him. There's nothing you have to do to build yourself up to it. You can come right now and be born again. You can be born again sitting right there. But He is also all we need in life. So regardless of where you are when you're born again, you should have an evidence life. You need to tell somebody about it and tell somebody what Christ has done for you. Brag on him, that's right. Uh, will you answer his call today?